Luke 15, verse 11. In your handout, you read from the scriptures. Then he said, a certain man, Jesus said this, had two sons. He told them a story. He said, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so the father divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered everything he had together. He journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, everything, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And, and this citizen sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine, the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. And this is where we left off last week. We talked about the gap between verses, uh, you know, that, that point where he says, I, this is what I'll do, I'll arise, and that place and when he actually does. The, the difference between verses 18 and 20, we talked about how there are times in our lives where we really do feel something stirring in our hearts about wanting to respond to God. And there comes upon us this idea of, I will arise. But we talked about the gap between verses 18 and 20, the gap between, I will arise, and actually he arose. The gap between thinking about doing a good thing and actually getting started with it. And how so many of our good intentions die right here. And this is what I should do. This is what I think God wants me to do. But we never really start acting on it. And it's gotta, it takes courage to act, to actually go for it. But then we, we mentioned how there is a difference not only between I will arise and, and he arose, but also arriving or getting home. And so there's this whole idea of a journey. There's an idea of responding to an intention and starting a new beginning. And there's an idea of keep pushing forward until we get to where we're supposed to be. Not that we're ever completely there, but we have a sense of where God is calling us to a point of, let's just say, in this case, home. And how often, and this applies to us in a number of different ways in our lives, but how often do we start on things and we don't finish them? And they were good things. They were things that we were meant, meant to do. But as with prodigal, there would have been so many possible reasons why he could have justified quitting. It's too much work. I'm sick, I'm weak, I don't want to do it. What if I get there and I'm rejected? What if I'm told that, you know, and I'm glad, sorry you, you made the journey, but you, you, you gave up everything. Remember your big speech? What if my older brother tells me that um, he wants nothing to do with me and he pushes father? What happens if the fa my father says, you know what, I, I, I don't feel comfortable with your, all the reasons why in our minds we can justify quitting. And yet the one of the points that Jesus is making is that this journey is something that requires us to stay with it to not quit. And inevitably, we will, we will want to give up on, on things that God is calling us to and throw our hands up and just say, well, this is who I am. This is who I will always be. And the Lord is going to contend for us. So this is a big part of what's going on here. In verse 20, it says that he arose, he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. His father saw him from the distance. And Jesus, in telling us this story, invites us to sort of bring it into our mind's eye 
I mean, that's the whole point of this of a story that Jesus gives. He, he wants us to use our imagination and to think and to see it and to feel it and to get into it in a way that maybe if he was just giving propositions and that we would maybe not be able to actually engage nearly as well as when we're given a story. Story has a way of grabbing our heart because we can see it in our eye. And some of us learn best that way. In fact, I think most of us do. So Jesus says to the Father, he says, the Son is coming home, and, and he is obviously a shell of what he was. But he is making his way home, and the picture that Jesus gives us is of the Father who is looking, and he perhaps sees him at first just a silhouette on, the, on a hill, maybe a solitary figure at, at the close of the day, He's looking, but he recognizes, because love recognizes, he recognizes his son. And the picture that Jesus gives us is of a father who has not forgotten. In the far country, he was forgotten. But the father hasn't forgotten. Jesus is saying he keep, he's been praying. He's been yearning for his return. He's been on the look. And when he sees him, Jesus says two things happen. One, he says, and he could have chosen any word, to capture it, but he chooses this word of compassion. It says, when he saw him, and he saw his condition, that his heart was filled with compassion. The picture is of, a, of his heart being torn, rent. Um, the idea of he was, he was broken by the brokenness. He had compassion. He had pity and love mixed together. It, 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 it caused him to do something that probably other people, if they didn't know what was happening, would have been shocked because it wasn't something that someone like him would have done. But the Jesus says that when he saw him and he had compassion on him, that he saw him, he, he, he saw his condition, he saw his brokenness, it says that he couldn't contain himself, and Jesus throws this in there. And he says, see the old man, pull up, his, pull up his robes and his garments, and watch him run. First a lot, right? Then a little, as he gets tired, right? And, but then he pushes forward. Jesus says, look at this, look at this, this begin, look at this old, look at this father, as he sees his son, pull up his garments, and just go and run after him. Go for it. And he runs after him. And when he gets to him, it says that it's the picture of someone who's absolutely, it just puts his arms around him, loves him, cries over him. It's the picture of a love that is just absolutely lost in what any part of the thing is. Well, where, you know, if you're, if you're looking at it, it's a picture of the love of God because it's so much about. What, think about the criticism that Jesus was getting in this moment. This, why did he even give this story? What was going on? We talked about this. The, the, the criticism he was being given at the outset of Luke 15 is, well, you know what? Why are you, you're supposed to be a holy man. Why are you spending this time with these people who clearly are outside of God's circle of concern? I mean, these, they call them the sinners and the, you know, the publicans, the, the, these, these outsiders one of the things that concerns us about you, Jesus of Nazareth, is that your issue, we believe you're from God, but there's something about the way that you engage these people that is not only inappropriate because of what they're doing, but you set an example that is not good. 
And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. The God that you suppose you represent actually cares about these people. And he actually is contending for them. In fact, I love them, and God loves them, and he wants them to come home. So don't be so quick to write them off. Think about the three stories he gives. He says one of the things, he starts it out by saying, there was a shepherd who what? Who lost his sheep. There's, a, there's a, a, a woman who's lost her coin. And then finally, there's a father who's lost his son. And really, he has two lost sons, as we'll see. And what is, the, what is the image that we're given? It's the shepherd who's seeking. It's the woman who's, who's sweeping. It's the father who's running. It's all about action and motion. It's about God pursuing. It's about recovery of that which is lost and that which matters. It's a great picture that Jesus gives us. I mean, if you, if, if you think about it, I was, I was, I was you know, sort of saying, well, Lord, what, what, are, you, what are you telling us? You know, what, what would have been the criticism of the, of the Father? I thought, you know, because it was kind of, I was thinking about how they were criticizing Jesus. And it would be like this. Oh, man, why, why are you running? Don't, don't do that, right? It, you don't look, you're not supposed to be the one running. Let him run to you. Let him get to you. Let him get back here, grovel and plead. For God's sake, don't humiliate yourself. Where's your decorum? Where's your sense of propriety? Forget you. It's like the father says, I don't care about propriety. I don't care about your sense of decorum. I don't care about it. All I know is my son who was lost has come home. And he's, he who has been away is returning. And I am so happy. I'm so happy. I love him. And I want him to come home. And I was trying, I was trying to connect because I was trying because a lot of times the best way to connect with things that Jesus says about God is to try to apply them in our own situations. And I was trying to think, Lord, how would I feel if my own sons or daughters came home? And after they had gone their own way and, and they were coming home, what would I want to do? What would I want to say? What would I want? I would want to. I would want to put my arm around them in their brokenness. I want to love them and I want to kiss them and I want to tell them I'm so happy. It was interesting to me because, in the earlier service, when I was talking about the father's embrace, and maybe it's just because, you know, it's funny looking at a at a man of my age attempting to try to convey this, and maybe something I was doing was funny, and maybe that's why they chuckled. But I, I didn't think that. The more I was thinking about it, I thought, you know what it is? A lot of people are uncomfortable with the image of the father's embrace, and actually someone, a father kissing him like that. I'm not talking about some macho. I'm just saying that I realize how much brokenness is out there. And the idea that Jesus was trying to convey that God is like a father who runs to us, and he takes us in our brokenness, it's, it, it can make us uncomfortable. Some of us, especially if we've had a bad experience or we've never known it. The idea of God putting his arms around us. In our, think about it. What was prodigal? The picture he given is he's, like he's in rags. I mean, he's got a rail thin body. He's got, he's, he's stinky. He's, he's shamed. He's got nothing. He's a mess. And the arms, it's, it, notice it says the phrase, look at the phrase, it says he fell on, that, that, think about the selection of the term, he ran and he fell on his, what does that mean, fell on his neck? It means that he throws himself on the boy, he threw himself on him, he envelops him, and he's crying, and he's kissing him, that's the picture, you are home. I am, I, I love, this is a, this idea of the love of God, and it's just be with that love.
Let, the, let God love us. Let him forgive us. Let it go. This, this, this is the picture. It, you matter. We matter. And this is what it's all about. No, I'm, what I'm saying is, it's amazing to me how we, you know what, I, I, we're going to see it in a little bit. I'm going I'm to show you something in a moment. But let me just put a couple of scriptures up that actually connected me to something of what we were watching here. Because in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, just want to show it, notice this passage. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And in my mind, I thought he became poor. Yes, he threw aside his dignity. He threw aside his dignity and allowed us through his poverty to become rich. Romans 5, verse 8, one of the first verses I memorized as a young man was that God, and I, I used it, God commended his love toward us when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But this version says, but God demonstrates his love, his own love towards us. In the, notice here, in that which we were still, when we were still sinners, in my mind, that phrase, when we are still a long way off, what is God? Christ died for us. God ran to us. That's the picture. He runs to us and he embraces us. And he loves us and he kisses us. And it's a beautiful picture that Jesus gives us, a supreme moment. Jesus, you know what Jesus is saying? Ah, this is great. He's, he's saying it's not just the prodigal son who was wasteful. It's the father who is also prodigal in his love. In the sense that he doesn't take regard to how he's using it. He's going to lavishly let it flow. He's going to pour it out recklessly without regard to the cost or quantity. In other words, when God responds to a genuineness in us, when we are broken and we come to him, it does, the, the grace of God does not flow back to us in measured terms as if God has a limited supply and so he's just going to toss a little bit our way. He says he just throws himself on us. That God, if we'll come to him, if we will throw our lives in his direction, especially if our, we're broken, maybe that's where it shows up most beautifully, that God will be reckless in his love and in his grace and in his mercy at work in our lives, that he will do amazing things in our lives, that we will also know the kiss of God on our cheek. That this, this is a picture of something of what God, what God is like. This is not, Jesus saying, God is not the God who is going to test you out, who's going to just make you earn the love. He is a God who's pursuing and will run to you. That's how much he, now, that brings us back to the picture that we've been looking at. The, uh, we've been talking, it's all over our handout as well. It's just everywhere, the picture of Rembrandt, that Rembrandt created. Remember he made this picture of the return of the prodigal son. He did this at the end of his life, pretty close to the end. He was a much, much older man when he painted this uh, amazing piece. And we talked about how this is a Rembrandt's interpretation of the story of Jesus, and of the prodigal, that he has many options that he can use. You know, when you're, when you're trying to create a picture to capture the essence of a story, you, you, you are given the, the freedom, as it were, to interpret the moment. And so what Rembrandt chooses to do, again, as a much older man, who, by the way, as we'll see in, in the weeks ahead, uh, by this point, he was broken in his own way. And the picture he chooses, the image he chooses to convey the essence of this, this story that Jesus gave us is, the, is of a moment. It's the moment of being received in brokenness. 
So the return is about a moment. And the reason it, it shows up, because remember last week we talked about how decades earlier he had done another, he had, it was an etching of prodigal return, and what a difference that etching was. Because in this etching, you notice, it's not so much about a moment. Yeah, it's a moment, but it's, not, it's more about what? Movement. And the way he creates the, look, the windows opening. What, look at the posture. We talk about the, the foot of the father leaning in, right? There's this idea, almost like a track. Someone's getting ready to run a race. There's this leaning into his son. And then also the son is, is leaning. And then you've got the staff lying on there. And this idea of movement, of a, it, it's different. It's, it's a totally different uh, capturing of it. One has to do with the response of God and making our way back to God. It's a capturing something, but the, the, the moment is what the return is about. And, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The, one of the other things that you notice here is that Rembrandt, a lot of his paintings obviously had biblical connections. But earlier in his life, he, he seemed to identify himself as prodigal as a kind of a prodigal. And he had, he had designed a picture, a painting, at 30 years earlier, in which he called it prodigal in a far country, in a brothel. And what's fascinating is that he paints himself as prodigal. That's a self-portrait. And he puts his wife there as well, Saskia. And in this painting, which many people have looked at, because, and, and sort of drawn certain conclusions about what was he saying about his own life. And part of what they note is the, the fact that he is, this was part, how he kind of was. And this idea, look how he captures uh, the prodigal here. He, 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 he is brazen, he, he's clearly drunk. He's got the cup, he's holding it up, it's party time. The image that he's, he's got, uh, one of the writers now and said he has sexually greedy eyes. That's what he called it. it. The picture itself would have immediately connected with the brothels. They're what, he was saying something. And we know that, that this picture of brazen, reckless, partying prodigal, what a contrast. Go back to the return. What a contrast it is to the return what we see prodigal there. What a contrast to what he writes at the, what he designs at the end of his life. Notice, notice some things about it. First off, in that, in that other picture, you saw the long flowing locks of prodigal, right? You can't miss it, the hair is, here he almost looks like he's a returning prisoner of war. Prodigal is the picture, it's, it's almost completely, it's, he is the picture of brokenness. People have talked about how even his clothes, they. They re they're tattered and they're torn and they reflect something, just his undergarments being soiled and frayed. His sand Notice his sandals. Do you see his sandals? The Rembrandt pays attention to details that, and he's making statements in them. And his feet, you look at his feet, and what do you see? You see the, that the left is completely slipped off, right? But on the right hand, the, the right side, his right foot, it's basically half of a sandal. And it's just covering only half of his feet. His body posture, you see it, it's intentional. I mean, he's got his body posture. He's like, he's, he's almost like his whole, his hands are tucked in. He, it, it, he's, he's almost like he's just leaning in completely, almost people say the, there's a fetal component to it. There's this complete vulnerability, this complete brokenness. He's capturing that that slight lean in. Think about it with the hands, there's nothing. I'm leaning on him. I'm leaning into him. 
I'm leaning in my brokenness. There's this idea, this, this, this picture of a lean. It's, it's this moment, it's very subtle, but it's there. This idea of complete brokenness, of shame. This idea of, of, of just, I got nothing. I got nothing. I have nothing. I'm so broken. And he's capturing the essence. And, but as powerful as the image, which, by the way, I think that's partly what prayer is. I'm not saying it's everything. But when Jesus said, come to me as a child comes, I talked about the second innocence last week. I mean, what was he saying? He's saying, come, come dependent. Come, come just, come, come broken. Into, lean into me. Lean into me. Prayer is being honest and being real. It's leaning into God. But you look at that, you go, this is, he's, so, oh, but as powerful as, as powerful as Rembrandt's image is in terms of capturing prodigal's brokenness, really, we talked about this, it leads us where? It leads us up to something. The center of the painting really is about this. It's about the hands. The light brings us there. Our eyes are brought there. The visual brings us there. Everything about it is leading us into the hands. And Rembrandt is saying, this is about the hands that embrace. It's about the hands that embrace us in the brokenness. It's about that. So as I think about this story that Jesus gave us, I'm reminded of a couple of things, and one of them is that this story is a reminder of God's undignified love for us. Think again about the old man pulling up his garments and running. Think about the idea of him running with all he's got and getting to his boy. The idea of the old man running is a picture, and I'm not saying God, old man, but it's a picture of the God who runs to us. It's a picture of another walk that he took. It explains why he makes his way to Golgotha. It is the, on the cross is the ultimate undignified Savior. I mean, he's stripped down to the core. He's humiliated. God allows himself to be scandalized. It is the absolute expression of, of love that is willing to be utterly undignified on our behalf to win us back. That's the love of God. And it's a reminder, secondly, that we don't have to um, clean ourselves up to come to the Father. It's that sometimes we think that if I could just get good enough for God, then he'll have me. I tell people all the time, look, I know why you, because I'll, you know, periodically I'll have conversations, as many of us will, with people, and you'll talk about the Lord, maybe talk about coming to church, and, and one of the things that I hear people say, and, and I get it, it's not like it doesn't make sense to me to say, you know, I, I just feel like the way I'm living my life right now probably, I don't know, I don't know if I feel comfortable going. And I, I get that. But you know what? This is not about us, listen, this is not about us being at a point where we're good enough for God. Think about it. Someone says, think about it, it's not like this. The father, the father is there, the son is coming back, and he's coming back in his rags, and then he runs out to him, and he stops, and he says, whoa, man, you're, you really look bad. Before I give you a hug and a kiss, you're going to need to go take a bath and, and get some new clothes. But he doesn't do that, does he? Forget this. Forget it. Come here. Come here. And this is it. 
I don't care what you smell like. You come. You come as you are. It's not about being good enough, right? It's about because his good is enough. I'll say it again. It's not about us being good enough. It's about, it's about his good is enough. It's about the goodness of God. And there have been times you say, well, it's a new. I'm saying is there are times where we, we say, Lord, how could you be interested? I mean, I failed you. I, I, I broke with you. I feel ashamed. I, I, I don't even, sometimes I don't, you know, I've known that when we fail God. We fail our own sense of what, what, is, what is right before him. We let not just God, we let ourselves down. We, we, I've known that feeling more, many times. And it's in those times where, uh, that place of brokenness where I'm invited to come and I'm saying, Lord, I got nothing. I got nothing. But I'm going to lean into you. <laughs> I'm going to lean into you. And I'm going to let you bless me. And it's going to mean even more because I know more than I've ever known. I don't deserve it. But I'm leaning into you. And see, and that's the last thought. It's the last idea is that we need to be okay finding our rest, finding ourselves in the love and the forgiveness of God. Let the hands of the Lord rest on us. And I'm going to say that this is not just something that we do every now and then, you know, but it's something that we're supposed to do. <laughs> Broken, weary, beaten, bruised, you know, pressure on every side, anxious about this or that. Let's just lean into the Father. Let's live our life as one abandoned to the Father's embrace. It's not pushing us away. It's come home. It's you're safe with me. Remember where you belong. Remember who you really are. It's not about achieving. It's not about your status. It's not about this or that. It's not about what you've done. It's about these hands that say, I love you. And, it, and may we live that way all our days. All our days. Until the day comes when I go to a place where I have no idea of what it's exactly going to be like, except that I know this, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those hands will never push me away as long as I lean into them. Never. And so, Lord, I thank you for the time we've had in this morning to be able to explore the prodigal love that you have for us and I thank you, Lord, that it's not measured out and given only on the basis of when we deserve it. That somehow, Lord, we think we can earn it because we can't. We're never good enough, Lord. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to try to live a life in alignment with the principles that you've given to us, Lord. But at the end of the day, it's not about us earning it. It's about us receiving it. It's about us being open to what you want to do and saying who you say we are, safe in you. So, Lord, help us to live our lives as one submitted. Yeah as one yielded over, as one vulnerable, as one broken. Let us know the gift of holy loss that brings us closer to you because it was through your loss, Lord, that we live and it's through the cross, Lord, that we have a resurrection. It's all about dying to live, Lord. Help us to live close to that. Keep us in the broken place in our heart, Lord, because a broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise. You give grace to the humble. You resist the proud. Give us the gift. Help us to not be afraid to come home to you. It's where we belong. 
I ask for your blessing. Bless our, our closing song. Bless this time of giving that we're entering into as a people and a community. Help us give as unto the Lord for your honor. Lord, we pray for your blessing in these closing minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.